Are you ready to be transported back to 1800s high society London? Because season three of Bridgerton is now playing only on Netflix. This season follows the story of the Tons resident wallflower, Penelope Featherington, as she undergoes a journey of self-discovery and empowerment where we see her truly blossom. Penn's emotional transformation takes centre stage as her friendship with the charming Colin Bridgerton evolves into something more. For those not yet acquainted, Colin, the charming younger brother of the Bridgerton family, is about to turn Penelope's world upside down. Mm, This is the ultimate good friends to lovers story. From those initial butterflies to when both parties realise there might be something more between them, watch Bridgerton Season 3, now playing only on Netflix. And welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who really love dumb stuff. You're joined, as always, by Melbourne journalists Zara McDonald and Michelle Andrews. Merry Christmas. I know, the final show of the year, final Monday show anyway. We're going to be the soundtrack to your Christmas baking today, or your driving, or your shopping, or whatever you're getting up to, because we are talking all about Carl Stefanovic's unceremonious dumping from the Today Show, plus the Love Actually debate that's making us a little bit mad and how tanning culture has fallen victim to alternative facts. But first, Zara, how was your week? This has got to be my favourite week of the year. (laughs) But in saying that, I feel like I have bags under my eyes that have been engraved there for the last six months. I just looked in the mirror the other day and I thought, these are not going anywhere. And I think that's because it's the end of the year and I'm realising I am about to jump on a plane (laughs) after this record. Nothing like trying to fit everything in. Um, so it's been a bit manic, but that's fine. How about you? You don't look that tight. You're fine. The bags are pretty dark, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> I am okay. I spent most of my week in the hospital, which is a weird thing to do around this time of mm. year. I am one of my family members is sick, but my adoration for all the doctors and nurses who work throughout Christmas and give up their holiday time and care for the sick, particularly the elderly and the sick, I just want to give them all a massive hug. I cannot believe that so much compassion is involved and giving is involved on their behalf at this time of year. Because it's such a personal time of year for everybody Mm. and it is such a huge ask and it's just extends beyond hospitals. There are so many careers, I think, that, that do have to give up a lot of time over this time of year. And I think we all just assume that everybody gets a break, but obviously that's so far from the truth. Yeah, and I think anyone who doesn't work night shift completely lacks awareness as to how terrible it is and can be. I've been staying up late, obviously, at the hospital, and so has my family, and we all feel exhausted, but it's like we're here for someone that we love. You guys are here because this is your job to work overnight, and you guys stay up to like 3 a.m. taking care of sick people all the time. So... Yeah, I think it's been a really interesting time to be at the hospital and surrounded by those people all the time. And it's been a good reminder, I think, that just be kind to healthcare yeah. professionals and those who take care of us and take care of the sick at this like time that. of year. I think that's really, really um, important. Did you read anything while you were there? No, uh, well, this is the thing. I haven't done. I was supposed to work this week and I missed a whole bunch of deadlines because yeah. I was like, I've just been off doing other things. You don't have time to consume in those moments. No. Do you? No, my mind has been totally elsewhere. What about you? Give me a recommendation. I have a couple because I found as I was packing this week, and you know when you're running a lot of errands outside of work days, I found that I actually consumed more this week than I have in a very long time. Um, There was a great episode of Long Form with Alison P. Davis who wrote that profile of Lena Dunham in The Cut. Yes. And it's a little niche if you are not a writer or interested in the process of writing, the first half of the episode might lose you. But if you are interested in how that profile came about and what it was like behind the scenes, listen from about 44 minutes because it's maybe about a 15-minute burst where they talk about how Alison was getting so much information over the course of those interviews that she was genuinely getting stressed as she was talking to Lena because Lena was giving her so much and she thought, I don't know what to do with all of this. Yeah. And you could kind of see that reading the profile that there was just so much there. How do you possibly put it into into words as something that's engaging? The other thing that I read this week that wasn't new, but I think Man Repeller did sort of a, a roundup of some of their best writing for the year. And there was a story by Harling Ross, who I have quoted a few times on this podcast. She's an awesome writer. She's really She's great. So good. In fact, I don't think they have a, a weak link in their writing team. No. They don't have a big team, but they have a great writing team. And she wrote this story called How Can I Know Myself If I'm Constantly Changing? And I thought it was a very interesting piece to read as we come into the end of the year. And I am not one to usually sort of look back and think, 
think about the year that was or the year that's going to be. But I read this story and she was talking about if I am constantly sort of evolving what I believe or what I like about myself, how do I know who I am at any given moment? Mm. And I thought that was really, maybe it just resonated more with me because as I am getting to the end of this year and I'm looking at the the whole year and how much we've done in this podcast and maybe we have had the luxury this year by virtue of doing this job of sitting with our thoughts more and trying to really work out what we believe yeah. that my views are changing on things completely. And what I thought I valued, I don't value as much anymore. And that really resonated. Mm, I think it's also really contained maybe to your twenties. I feel like you do so much growing and changing, going from being a teenager in high school to then uni and then into the workforce. Your early to mid twenties is when a whole heap of change and even self-discovery happens. I feel like every year I become a different person and I look back on decisions that I made even two years ago or even things that I wrote which is the embarrassing thing about being a writer sometimes I look back on what I did 18 months ago I'm like what number one terrible writing (laughs) so many adjectives everywhere so florid number two what the fuck like have a think about it for a little bit longer and that's going to exist on the internet forever but it is true that it's weird because we're changing so quickly it's almost a crisis of identity where it's like, wait, who actually am I? Well, that is exactly what I've been feeling. And when I read this story, I, I thought straight away, that is exactly what I think. Because how do I label myself or know or tell people what I believe if that is in a process of flux? Yeah. So I would really recommend that story. She talks a lot about um, her relationship with her hair in t- to sort of um, root to the story, which sounds a bit funny. I know. <laughs> but it is a really beautiful read. So I would recommend that, particularly as we come into the new year. Speaking of identity crises, you're going to love this little segue. I think I, I, I know where it's going. <laughs> I think Carl Stefanovic might be having a bit of an identity crisis right now. Do what you, about you? Today shows having an identity crisis too. I have to say, <laughs> everyone. Do you want to give a recap for anyone who missed this mega story? Let's do this. So it started as it always does with a few leaks to the Daily Telegraph, of course. And the rumor was that today the Today Show was shaking up its entire sort of programming. Their executive producer, quote unquote, stood down a couple of weeks ago, which I think we can infer did not stand down. So many uh, Are we different, gonna get sued for that? So many descriptive words like he's stepping off or stepping oh, away, brilliant. stepping down. It's like, no, you probably just fired him. Well, my favorite part about firstly, the executive producer being stood down is every time it was referenced in an article this week, it was always in inverted commas. Yeah. Like Mark Calvert stood down and I'm like, oh, well, he didn't stand what down. What's that Carl Stepanovic step off? I'm yeah. like, what does like, could, step off mean? It's like, <laughs> is that a new one? It's the image that it invokes. It's like, he's not going down. He's just going across. He's like, whoop, it's bye. It's careful wording, isn't it? I'm hopping off this sinking ship. Yeah. He's hopping off the set. So it started with leaks. Uh, the executive producer was uh, stood down. Then came Peter Stefanovic, who was whose contract wasn't renewed with Channel Nine as he was holidaying in Mexico after Carl's wedding. The day after that came the story that Carl Stefanovic was not going to be um, on the Today Show next year. Then came Richard Wilkins, who also won't be on the Today Show. He will be uh, a little more on Today Extra. Then there came reports that Sylvia Jeffries was going to be moved around. She probably will. And then Tim Gilbert, who is their sports reporter, there are rumours that he is a little too Sydney-centric with his uh, bulletins. And the last person standing is Georgie Gardner. Now, Mm. at the moment, obviously, nothing's really happened with Tim Gilbert and Sylvia Jeffries, but that's what the reports say. So it's basically an entire clean slate for the next year. Yeah, I think it is fascinating what's happened to the Today Show this year because they've always been in a neck-and-neck race with Sunrise on Channel 7, obviously. But I think... Just focusing on Carl, his biggest mistake in my mind, yeah, he broke up with his wife, whatever, people break up, relationships end. I'm not so concerned with that. I think his biggest PR mistake in 2018 was actually flaunting his wealth and making his wealth very well known in the Australian media cycle. I think by swanning around on yachts, having a four-day international wedding, et cetera, et cetera, was actually so damaging to his reputation. And it makes me think of just a parallel in Dave Hughes. When Dave Hughes walked onto the block in, it would have been 2017, was that when it happened? Walked onto the block and had never looked at the winning house and just went, you know what, I'm going to drop three point something million on this house that I've never looked at before. Haven't even consulted my wife. Just going to do it well, on national television. He says. Well, he says that, but I actually believe that based mm. on what she said. I think he actually walked on and went, yeah, I'll buy this. Didn't think of it very much. That is the biggest mistake that someone in the media 
or the entertainment industry can make because I think the public isn't very aware of the massive paychecks that go on in this industry. And as soon in as you some put, parts of the industry, in some let's parts, be careful. <laughs> we're just, yeah. you know, we're also on yachts all the time. And as soon as you point to that and you go, I can afford this or I can afford going on a yacht or I can afford a four-day Mexican extravaganza wedding, the public then immediately goes, I like him, but do I think he's worth that when I'm slaving away in my nine to five and I'm getting $60,000 a year? And it, it... straight away creates this disconnect where they don't think that Carl Stefanovic is worthy of his paycheck and it creates a disdain for people in the public eye as soon as they point to their wealth. It can be a little tall poppy in this kind of scenario. If we're going to talk about Dave Hughes for a second, he did a great interview with Will Anderson on Willosophy and I think the difference between Dave Hughes and Carl Stefanovic is Dave Hughes is very self-aware about what that move was likely going to do what it could do to his reputation and he still thought it was worth it so that was very calculated in its spontaneity Carl Stefanovic I've been thinking a lot because he's been best friends with James Parker for a very long time so this is not the first time or the first year that he's been swanning around yachts is it the first time that we've got a lot more paps there I mean it's certainly been in the news cycle far more and I don't know if it's a case of him doing this stuff more but more of a case of us seeing it there's a lot of commentary as well around why has a divorce brought down the highest profile journalist in the country and I think that's too simplistic I think he rode like you said he rode the coattails of a brand that inferred he was the everyman the one who turned up drunk after the logies who couldn't keep a straight face when cracking jokes on on national television he cashed in on that brand and became the highest paid person on television and then he changed the brand and people were always going to struggle with that I think it's the fact that he sort of tried to pivot the brand that didn't work yeah well I think the core audience of the Today Show would mostly be stay-at-home mums and women Women. And those are precisely the types of people who would fear what Stefanovic did. So these women watching him may have given up their careers for their husbands and they may be the main homemaker and caregiver to the family. And so to see someone like Carl Stefanovic be held up as this golden boy of television and then leave his wife of 20-something years and go marry someone who's a decade younger... That is a personal thing for all of his fans. And as soon as they see that, they see their husband or their potential future in Carl Stefanovic and Cassandra Thorburn. I think you have to be careful with that because I don't disagree. But the only issue I have in people talking like that about this scenario is assuming that every woman is insecure. And I don't think that is necessarily the truth. But anecdotally, it's true. Men seem to do this more than women. Men seem to go for the younger women more than women seem to leave their husbands for the younger man. And that is the brutal truth. I do wonder how much impact Cassandra Thorburn's interviews had because she wasn't quiet at all. And I think that was quite deliberate. Do you think that Channel 9 thought this is a circus that's getting too much and she is a cog in the machine? Yeah, I think so. And I think I was listening to another podcast. I can't remember what one it was, but they were talking about how Carl, they didn't sell their wedding photos to a magazine, but they let a magazine have their wedding photos and they let the magazine, I think it might have been. It was the weirdest part about that is I think it was a Seven West Media magazine, which is odd because in the Australian media landscape at the moment, there's basically only two major players, which is Seven and Nine. Yeah. So if you're going to let the magazine publish you on the cover and make your wedding this spectacle can you really then turn around and be like I don't want any media attention leave me alone I'm sick of it like you're playing into it at the same time as you're admonishing it it's a hard one because maybe I think they thought and knew that the the attention or the media attention was going to be there so is it easier if we just give them what they want so it's faster and easier and more efficient I I don't know I don't think A four-day wedding spectacle plus a commitment ceremony is a great look, but also are they well within their rights to sort of celebrate their marriage in whatever way they want? Mm. I I guess so. It's true. Let's talk about some positives now. Brooke Boney. Brooke Boney's a great one, but I'm also going to put a negative spin on this (laughs) too. God. The reports around her appointment were quite shocking to me. Did you see any of these around? Yeah. So for anyone who missed it, Brooke Boney has been announced as Richard Wilkins' replacement. She will be the entertainment reporter on today. She is the first Indigenous woman to ever be given a spot on a Channel 9 primetime program. Isn't that absurd? It is. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. But what do you mean the reports? So the headlines were a little bit offensive. No, no, no. Very offensive. The Daily Mail's was by far and above the most offensive thing I've ever seen. What was the Daily Mail's? Bikini-loving Brooke Boney oh, and photos hell. of her in her bikinis. Oh, fuck. 
This is a like triple J and SBS journalist who has uh, climbed, climbed through the ranks faster than almost anybody else her age. And we've put a photo of her in a bikini and not just inferred that she wears bikinis, we've called her bikini-loving Brooke Boney. Wow. Bit of alliteration there for the Daily Mail as well. Isn't that just fucked? Yeah, it's so fucked. The positive spin on this, of course, is that today has been criticised. So have many of the major television stations been criticised for only really hiring blonde women. And this is a really, really good move towards diversity for them. And I she's think good it, at her job. Yeah. Well, it indicates a new a new era for today, which I think is really good. I think there's also been rumours of an all-female lineup. The Australian reported that Nine is looking to change things up and is keen on Deborah Knight and Alison Langdon as suggested candidates to join Georgie Gardner. Interesting. I've also heard that Tracy Vaux, who is a very popular presenter from Perth, will move to move across into Sylvia Jeffrey's role. So that could be great too because she is very popular with her Perth viewers. And it's fascinating because the American sister show, so the American Today show, has two female anchors mm-hmm. and have had quite significant success under Savannah Guthrie and Hoda Cobb. Do you think we're ready for that? And when I say we, I mean you and I certainly are. But that is a ballsy move. It, it really is because the Channel 9 um, Today show audience, as somebody was quoted, uh, an insider was quoted in the Daily Telegraph this year, it's sort of like they, they are after a white bread sort of host. And when I say white bread sort of host, they were after a Carl Stefanovic that was the everyman. Like a cookie cutter. Exactly. Yeah. And I wonder if this will be too radical for them. I don't think so. I think breakfast television show ratings across countries, across the US, UK and Australia have all been declining since 2016 quite significantly. In the US last year, it dropped by 10% viewers. So I think they almost need to take a radical approach yeah. to try and reinvigorate this I medium. I do agree. They need to be incredibly radical. There was also commentary around this week about who's going to sit there for and watch the three-hour show. I mean, I know the idea is not that people sit in front of the Today Show for three hours. They get bite-sized pieces, but it needs to cater for an audience that is busier than ever, who's not just getting their news from TV um, and who will sit and be engaged by a panel that sort of reflects who they are too. Honey, look Mm. what I got for us. Look at that. Ah, (laughs) Look at him go. What is it? It's a Chinese crusted, of course. No kidding. A Chinese crusted. Mm. So it's it's like a dog, right? (laughs) Oh, there he is. Ben, (laughs) Ben, you're hurting Krull's feelings. Krull, is it? Krull. Krull, the warrior king. Well, sure, because that's clearly what... And now it's time for the quick and dirty. As always, we will bring you five stories from the news cycle this week that you might have missed. Michelle, what have you got? We're finishing off with a bang, I feel like, for 2018. So my first story, that's awkward. Laura Byrne tricks fans as she pretends to drink alcohol in sponsored posts despite being pregnant from the Daily Mail. Okay. Hmm. How's the word tricks first and foremost? (sighs) Women are such tricksters. Oh, my God. This story actually made me really angry. It takes a lot for the Daily Mail to make me angry anymore because it's just like you just expect such fuckery from them anyway. The bar's low. The bar is so fucking low. But this week, wow. For anyone who missed it, Laura actually posted this. Laura's from The Bachelor. She posted a screenshot of a message from a Daily Mail journalist reaching out to her, accusing her of drinking alcohol while pregnant. And it was just a very unprofessional... It was a strange message because the journal basically gave her two options. He said either you were drinking um, alcohol while you were pregnant or you were deceiving your followers, which one was it? Yes. It was so telling to me that, that it was a male journalist who sent this because you will find that there are so many more layers to this than, than meets the eye. Firstly, I I dare you to find a woman across the country who hasn't had a single sip of alcohol while they're pregnant. Not that that's the point, but I think there's inherent shame in in his tone there. Did you find that too? Yeah, I do. And obviously this is an incredibly complicated topic and we always recommend that if you're pregnant, consult your doctor. We are not medical professionals. We can't really give an opinion on alcohol and pregnancy. So if you ever want to drink while pregnant, please consult your doctor We cannot stress that enough. This was shrouded in shame, this message between the Daily Mail journalist and Laura Byrne, and it was quite disgraceful. I didn't like a lot of the commentary around this story that how dare Laura promote a product that she's not using because I think that's quite 
ridiculous because who's to say Laura Byrne was promoting Recorder League yeah. cider? Who's to say that she hasn't loved that cider for the last 15 years of her life but isn't drinking it for the last two months while she's been pregnant but still loves the cider and agreed to a promotion with the cider company six months ago? These contracts can be sorted ages in advance or they can be sorted before she'd even come out and said she was pregnant. If you love the cider and they're saying, hey, would you like to promote it and we'll give you money, why would you say no to that? Especially when paparazzi are hounding you and suspecting that you're pregnant and trying to expose you, of course you'll be like, yeah, two birds, one stone. I will 100% promote this cider to the world and at the same time try and squash all these rumours and this innuendo. Well, I don't think I have an issue with it at all and I think that has been one of the major flaws of the commentary and people saying, well, this is entirely deceitful that you are going to promote a product that you're not drinking. I mean, I would hazard a guess that half the promotions you see on your news feed, the, the influencer might not be actually using at that moment in time. That doesn't mean that they don't love the product. They might not just be using it then. So I found that, again, shrouded in shame and a really disappointing turn um, when it came to that, that news in particular. Yeah, well, I feel like it was just an opportunity to back Laura and say, you're not doing anything wrong. You're fine. You're a newly pregnant person who has been through pregnancy loss and now yeah. pregnant with her first baby. Now is not the time to jump on Laura Byrne. Now is the time to jump on publications and journalists like the Daily Mail Journal who disrespected her and tried to expose her as some trickster. Yeah, it's absurd. What else have you got? All right. Model Elise Knowles shares confronting photos of her skin troubles. That's from news.com.au. Might take issue with the word confronting. Yeah, I don't think it was confronting. I think it was just what the average woman's skin might look like when she's having a few skin troubles. Um, I loved this from Elise. I think this is one of my favorite things she has ever done in the public eye. What about you? Definitely. It was really popular in our, in our Facebook group, Shameless Podcast Community, and I just genuinely loved it. It was a photo of her skin, um, and she's been having some troubles with her skin in recent in recent months. And then she wrote a blog post in conjunction with that post. And the blog post was one of the best pieces I've read from an influencer or somebody who's addressing an insecurity without making trying to make money off it or trying to make other women feel that they should be insecure about various things too. It was just brutally honest in saying, these are my issues. I don't know how to fix it, but maybe this might make you feel better because I have heaps of issues myself. Yeah, absolutely. And I loved how she didn't try to offer a solution. Yeah, exactly. She was saying that it's so frustrating when you have a condition like acne or you have another medical condition where people consistently come to you and go, have you tried acupuncture? Have you tried this herbal remedy? Have you tried this facialist? Have you tried X, Y, and Z? And she was like, I don't need that. I don't want you to come at me. I just want you to understand what it's like to have this condition. The other thing that I really liked about this post, which I think is a line that not many people walk very well, is her conversation around Roaccutane, which is the medication that she took twice to try and get her skin better. And I always get very nervous when people in the public eye might be either talking about these kinds of things or recommending these kinds of things, but she was so careful and she thought, I wouldn't necessarily recommend it. It was bad for my moods. It was tough on my skin. It cleared my skin for a certain point in time, but please make sure you see your doctor. Please make sure you see your doctor. Please make sure you see your doctor. And I think when we talk about influencers giving health advice and we are occasionally critical of people saying, this is what I did. This is my experience and saying, well, you're still influencing them. This was an anomaly in how you can do it well, where she was so, so careful. Oh, she absolutely nailed it. It was a standout from any influencer putting any type of content out this month. I think she really, really helped people with that post. And you could see that when you read the comments. My third story, Rachel McAdams' breast pumping photo is none of us and all of us at once. That's from SBS. It was a nice looking photo, wasn't it? Beautiful. For anyone who missed it, this was on the cover of a magazine and Rachel McAdams, the actress, had two breast pumps attached to her breast and was expressing milk. It, I think, was just a beautiful photo. I've never been a mother, obviously. I'm childless. But I think this was a really good depiction of something that many women go through. And it was just real. It was, yeah. I mean, but I think that's why I liked this headline so much. It's sort of none of us in, in that how many young mums are breast pumping while they've got a face full of makeup and uh, like thousands of dollars worth of designer clothes on. But in saying that, it's also a mum at work expressing in the middle of her job. So that's a really beautifully put together headline. Yeah, I really loved it. The piece is really great as well. I'll put that in the show notes. Story four, 
I don't want you to think I'm perfect. Model Steph Claire Smith defends unflattering pictures of herself in bikini and admits she feels insecure about cellulite on her legs. That's from Daily Mail. So this was another one that I quite liked this week. In it seems to be the season for influencers trying to to barrel. Yeah, I know. In a good way. In a really good way. I really appreciate it. This story from Daily Mail was talking about an Instagram post that Steph Claire Smith put up. It might have been on Monday or Tuesday, yeah. I think. It was a little bit ago now. She posted paparazzi shots where the sunlight, she said, was showing the cellulite on her legs, which often isn't shown in the photos she posts because when you're taking professional photo shoots or you're doing professional photo shoots, you always do them at the very early morning or very late in the afternoon when the sun is at the most flattering angle. And she was basically saying, look, this is what my reality is. I know it's not the worst cellulite in the world, but it is something that I'm self-conscious of. And I want to show you because I don't want you to think that everything's perfect about me. And the commentary was quite astounding in how divided it was. There were people who loved the post and there were people that that were thinking that she didn't have enough cellulite in order to comment. You and I have a similar um, point of view on this in that I do not think you need a certain amount of cellulite in order to be able to comment on these things or have insecurities. No part of that post to me felt uh, insincere or not self-aware, I think, the part that I loved the most is was the part where she said, I know this is not everybody. Um, but when she followed it up on her Instagram stories after she did face a bit of backlash, uh, she said in, in writing, what would you prefer me to do? Just show none of this. Like, this is my reality. Aren't I allowed to show that? And I think when, when it comes to body positivity, I do think there can be instances where models show their flaws in order to leverage their followers. And it's not that helpful, but I didn't feel like this fell into that category at all. No, Did you? no, I didn't. I was quite surprised to see how many people found this offensive. If anything, this was one of the most helpful posts on my feed this totally. week. I think, of course, as always, when we talk about body positivity, I feel like you and I need to flag that we are both size eight women. So we don't have the experience of someone yeah. who exists at a largest dress size. However, this is a helpful post to me. I looked at this and I went, that's good. I feel good reading this. I feel good that you aren't perfect and that you do have things that you don't feel good about either. It makes us all feel like we can relate to each other and that even though it might not seem significant to someone else, it might feel significant to you. And we can't take that away from someone and be like, you're not allowed to feel X because you're Y. It just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. And nobody's saying, and especially not Steph Claire Smith, that that she is the every woman. Not not one part of that post is her saying, I am you and you are me. She knows that she is genetically blessed because she's a model. Like nobody's nobody's ignoring that fact. It's just saying, here's a non-photoshopped photo of me. This is what I look like at any given moment. Take it or leave it. Yeah. And it's the same with the Elise Knowles. Would anyone go back to Elise Knowles and say, I've got worse acne than you. This acne isn't even that bad. You can't feel insecure about it. It's like, we've all got varying degrees of different things. Well, that's the thing. There's a scale of insecurity and I think we can accept all of them. And I think it's projecting. I think when people come at influencers like Steph Claire Smith for posts like this, it's projecting their their own feelings and thoughts onto her. When she was, I believe, trying to do something really positive with that post, and I feel like it was very helpful. And if we're going to start calling out posts on social media, I don't think we should be starting with women sharing. Save your outrage. Like, save your outrage. There's so much other shit. I would hedge a bet that the next post you scrolled onto was probably more problematic than whatever Steph posted of a cellulite. I would also agree with that. (sighs) All right, my last story for this year's Quick and Dirty. Miley Cyrus turns Santa Baby into a feminist anthem on Jimmy Fallon's Tonight Show. That's from CNN. I have had this song stuck in my head all morning now because of it. (laughs) This is really good. I think Miley Cyrus has developed the best sense of humour and really turned her public image around after the whole Robin Thicke era. I think it's because she comes across self-assured and she comes across as self-assured in almost everything she does at the moment, particularly something like this. Mm. I mean, I'm sure there are going to be the skeptics out there that think, oh, this is um, a prime example of like the commercialization of feminism or whatever, but I don't really care. It's a Christmas song that's been turned into something that is pretty positive for women that has people in the crowd cheering. And I think if that is so mainstream that it makes it onto Jimmy Fallon's Tonight Show, then I'm pretty happy about it. There was something about this that did feel empowering. I think her singing with Jimmy Fallon and Mark Ronson dancing in the background and kind of, kind of being a bit goofy, it felt 
great to me. I really enjoyed watching it. I think it was a really fun, playful twist on something. And again, I think making feminism mainstream is great. And palatable. Palatable because it means that it's going to become a mainstream conversation and it normalizes a word that has a dirty connotation now. Definitely. Is that all you've got for me? It's all I've got. Every Christmas, two things tend to happen. First of all, Love Actually is streamed tens of millions of times around the world. The 2003 romantic comedy featuring the likes of Hugh Grant, Emma Thompson, Alan Rickman and Keira Knightley, plus many, many more, is a Christmas movie staple that none of us want to move on from. Then, secondly, come the Love Actually think pieces, stories that surgically dissect every second of the film. One such piece, titled I Rewatched Love Actually and Am Here to Ruin It for All of You, was written by Lindy West and reshared by women's website Jezebel. It begs the question, Zara... Can we watch our favourite Christmas movies without making them political? Hmm. (laughs) Yes and no. I don't know if we can watch anything without making it political these days, truly. And I don't know if that's a good or bad thing. I'm probably sitting on the fence in a really annoying way. For the record, I love Love Actually. I think we can start there. I think if we had a battle, I would love Love Actually more than you love Love Actually. Maybe. I actually sat down and watched Love Actually this week before we did this episode with a pen and paper (laughs) and thought, okay, I'm going to watch this with a new set of eyes. I'm sorry, but it's so sad that we call that work. I know. Is it good or bad? (laughs) I have no fucking idea. Um, So I sat down and I thought, all right, let me start noting down the things that would be issues today. Mm. There were a few. Yes. I'm just going to recap them for context, not to annoy everyone, but I'm just going to say once again, I love love actually. <laughs> so let's start with the let's start with the problems. I love that we're having to give like because <laughs> if anyone if this is gonna outrage anyone, then it's gonna be this. Okay. It barely passes the Bestel test, which is the Bestel test is a test that asks whether, you know, a piece of work like a film features at least two women who talk to each other about something other than a man. Now, as far as Business Insider can tell, the only two female characters who speak about something <laughs> other than a man in this film are Karen, which is Emma Thompson's character, and her daughter Daisy when they're talking about the <laughs> Christmas concert and Daisy's going as a lobster. <laughs> Number two, it's a little transphobic and fatphobic. Number three, the only characters who seem to not be quote-unquote worthy of love are the only women with personalities, which is Emma Thompson's character and Laura Linney's character. Number four. I feel like this is the most controversial thing we've ever done, just quietly, before you get to number four. Definitely not. This is a quote from um, the last two quotes from Lindy West's piece in Jezebel, because even if you love Love Actually like I do, I think this is such a brilliant read because it's not serious. It's it's a, a recap of the movie, but it's funny. And you think, wow, this movie actually is quite absurd. It doesn't make you feel annoyed. Um. Her first sort of opening lead for this for this piece is Hugh Grant's voice pipes in to tell us how inspiring and magical the airport is. Because when you're at the airport, you can't help but notice that love actually is all around. The fucking airport. If that's not the epitome of unexamined <laughs> privilege, declaring that the airport is your favourite place, then I don't know what is. Welcome to love, actually. And number five, she says, that best man guy shows up at Kira Knightley's house and spawns a decade of nice guy emotional manipulation reframed as romance. And Kira Knightley fucking kisses him for it. I know it's early, but I'm calling it artistic low point of the 21st century. <laughs> Don't ruin that scene for me. It is interesting that maybe she is right. No. I don't know. I mean, you can't say that this film is not without its influence. It is everywhere. I know the kinds of men or even women in my life who don't like this genre of film will have watched Love Actually. It mm. is insidious in its influence. Do you think that <laughs> that scene where Mark, I think his name is, it's actually funny. I've watched this movie maybe... 70 times and I don't know the character's names. The only one I remember is Aurelia. Aurelia and Juliet. Let's not do a list of the characters we remember. (laughs) I think it's Mark when he has those placards and he's saying, you know, I love you. We know the scene. Wow, I'm really sorry if we're um, ruining and spoiling this movie. (laughs) 
<laughs> but if you haven't watched Love Actually, then I'm sorry. This is your own problem. What were you um, saying about Mark and the placards? I'm saying I wonder if it did actually do what she's saying in that spawned a decade of nice guy emotional manipulation. You know that massive stereotype of sort of the nice guy being the one that can manipulate you the most because he says he's the nice guy? Mm. I wonder if that has had an influence. I think you need to chill out for a I'm, bit. I'm quoting Lindy West. Okay. I'm just being thoughtful about this. Okay. I've watched this movie four times from last month alone. If that does not depict my love for Love Actually, I don't think anything else will. Four I think times. it might just depict how little of a life you have, but onwards. <laughs> bit of column A, bit yeah. of column B. All right. I will admit, some of the scenes are not great. The most problematic scene would be when Hugh Grant looks up at a photograph of Margaret Thatcher and calls her a saucy minx. You said that's the most problematic. Yeah, because I think it's just... it's. It's disrespectful and I think it's unnecessary. It's taking a real world event and person, putting in this movie, a woman who was pivotal in world politics and calling, the only comment they make is that she's a saucy minx. The Bechdel test, I told you. Interesting, yeah. Okay, so there are problematic scenes, I agree with you. But I think if we play back what any of us were saying or doing 15 years ago in 2003 would all be a little bit appalled. I think it's important to reflect on how things are now and how much things have changed and how our standards have changed. I don't think that makes this movie inherently bad and I don't think it means that this movie brings anything negative into the world. I think it's going to be annoying this segment because I think we're going to have a similar opinion. I think if this movie was out now, I think both of us would have a few things that we would have issues with. However, I think it absolutely speaks to the time. I don't think that it does. I don't think that it undoes any of the work that we've done. It's indicative of how things have changed. A film or a piece of pop culture has the power to mold discourse and opinion Definitely. That's why we have this podcast. But a film this old, I'm not so sure its social relevance is important. Mm. I think people love this film for nostalgia, not for its progression, nor its message. I think we also need to talk about the Bechdel test before we move on as well. We need to remember this is a rom-com. I can't think of many circumstances. There are more than women talking to women about something other than men. I can't think of many circumstances of men talking to men about something other than women. Almost every conversation is laced with love. The only conversations I could count was when Hugh Grant was talking to the Prime Minister or, the, sorry, the President of the United States about how he betrayed them and how he wasn't a good friend. But again, that was laced with the connotation of what he did to Natalie. That was what sparked the whole thing. We're not talking about some political movie. We're talking about a romantic comedy where the crux of every storyline is love. So to then say, oh, well, women don't talk about anything other than love. It's like, yeah, because it might be a bit irrelevant. No, no, no. It's not that they're not talking about anything other than love. It's talking about anything other than men. And I think there's a difference there. Not a huge one, but a difference. Yeah, I think it's also interesting that one storyline that was cut out of the final cut of Love Actually was a lesbian couple. So a lesbian couple, one was terminally ill and the other one was nursing her to her death, basically. I do think we need to give a little bit of voice time to Laura Linney, who became the primary carer, her character, I can't remember her name, primary carer, (laughs) the primary carer of a mentally ill sibling. Yes, he was a man, but that was also giving more context and depth to the story of a woman in Love Actually that wasn't simply about wanting to bang or find the love and adoration of another man. That was simply caring for her sibling. And I think she wanted a bit of both, let's be honest. I don't know why she gave up love. She gave up love for being a carer for her sibling. Okay, but I think the biggest mistake we can actually make with Love Actually is taking it too literally. Yeah. And I think what is with our obsession of taking things so literally? Because the minute you try to pick out the parts of the film that actually mean something, you're inviting other people to pick out the parts of the film that don't mean anything and that's where we get our issues from. This isn't a guide to romance. I don't think it's a documentary. I don't think it's trying to tell us what love should look like. The characters don't have to be likeable. It doesn't have to be a movie, like I said, that we take so literally. And I think that can be our biggest mistake when it comes to old films, not new films. I think it's important that new pieces of art or film or pop culture are taken a little more literally. But something from 2003 can be taken with a grain of salt for sure, right? I think it also doesn't have to be a negative thing. If anything, watching Love Actually can be a gentle reminder of how far we've come and how much progress is being made. I think stagnation is something that many of us worry about. Like what happens if we don't continue to move the needle towards equality? What happens if we stop doing that? But watching films like Love Actually from 15 years ago remind us that culture is changing and shifting all the time for the better, for women and for minorities. 
I read a piece in The New Yorker. I'm not sure if you came across this. It was written earlier this year by Molly Ringwald, the actor. She starred in The Breakfast Club, of course, and she wrote a story about sitting down with her daughter to re-watch the movie that she starred in. And she said that she was so confronted by how problematic the film was that she was the main star in that she watched Attitudes Towards Female Subjugation be promoted in The Breakfast Club and how her daughter was confronted by that Mm. and how she needed to grapple with that. One of the quotes that I really loved is, how are we meant to feel about art that we both love and oppose? What if we are in the unusual position of having helped create it? Erasing history is a dangerous road when it comes to art. Change is essential, but so too is remembering the past in all of its transgression and barbarism so that we may properly gauge how far we have come and also how far we still need to go. I think that's really important. It's We cannot possibly undo work from years ago and nor should we because I think it's a really stark reminder of, like you said, how far we've come. The other point to make here is Nathaniel Cooper wrote for the Sydney Morning Herald in 2016, love actually stands out its head way above the crowd. It is funny and charming and easy to watch and you finish the film feeling better than when you started. Now, I know that's a generalisation. There might be people listening saying, I never feel better. (laughs) Hopefully not in that voice. I'm sorry for mocking you. You suck if you don't like this movie. (laughs) But I think there is something to be said about how things make us feel. How much weight... Do we give mindless, happy activities? I think the world can be dark. Film can be an escape. It doesn't have to have a really important moral, political message in every scene. Yeah, I think we need to weigh up what's the cost and what's the benefit. The cost in watching Love Actually is that, yes, there are a handful of moments that feel tone deaf. The benefit is that we have tens of millions of people gathering together and enjoying a tradition year on year that feels wholesome and light and funny and entertaining. And I refuse to analyse the minutia of Love Actually because it's you just haven't a f- refused to. We've just done it for the last 15 minutes. No, but just like slam it. I'm not going to slam it. I yes, know. there are things that annoy me, but just let me enjoy my fucking movie. Okay, I do want to read you one thing that I know is going to <laughs> no. have horns come out of your ears. <laughs> I read a piece in Cosmo um, by Emma Beatty who said on the storyline of the Prime Minister and Natalie. I know this was filmed. You should see Michelle's face right now. She's already unhappy. (laughs) I know this was filmed in 2003, but in 2018, where workplace relationships are even more of a raised eyebrow, this plotline feels very off. I don't know if you've heard of Me Too, but it's a thing and this relationship is no longer acceptable. Okay. I want to unpack this because I disagree. And I know that you do because Michelle's eyes have just rolled right back into the back of her head. Of course Me Too is a problem. And of course it is in 2018 and 2017 and years that have just gone by. But we cannot take things from the past and expect the people who created those things to be at the same point we are now. We can't go back to the 1950s and look at artwork and songs and films created in the 1950s and be like, why are you guys speaking so transphobically why are you so racist it's not fair it's not fair to look at older people who grew up in a different culture in a different time and expect that they are as cognizant of these different things as we are today no it's not realistic i think the other thing that i wanted to talk about when it came to this point in particular is i don't think that's a helpful way to talk about me too or power relations we cannot say now that no workplace relationship is worthy or perhaps about love. Sure, we have to be super super wary of power dynamics and how young people can be exploited and how sex can be used, you know, in that kind of power dynamic. But to assume that no workplace relationship where there is a slight imbalance of power can be legitimate is dangerous because I think that's where you lose people in the Me Too movement and the Me Too conversation. Yeah. By putting a blanket ban on everything. Yeah, I feel like Sutton in the bold type proves that. That's what I was going to say. That is a really interesting storyline to me in 2018, just to bring this back to the bold type. I have no (laughs) idea how we managed to. But the Sutton and Richard storyline doesn't feel ick or off. It actually just feels kind of natural and a bit awkward. Yeah, absolutely. I think that might be a case, that cosmopolitan story of a writer needing to come up with an angle about Love Actually. The editor's gone to her and saying, everyone clicks on Love Actually, come up with a good... New angle, and she's come up with this, but hasn't actually really thought it through. Sorry. She goes, boom. I mean, I think we have come to a similar place, and we do think very similarly about this film because I think film and TV hold a mirror up to our world, but I think they can only be judged on the world that they're actually 
holding the mirror to at the time of filming. Mm, I agree. I think Love Actually is amazing. And as I said before, I think the benefit far, far, far outweighs the cost and I will continue to enjoy it next year. You do you. <laughs> hey, Bridge, how's your love life? Oh. <laughs> Still going out without publishing, Charlie? Uh, no, no. Right. Never dip your nib in the office ink. <laughs> <laughs> right. You really ought to hurry up and get sprogged up, you know, old girl. Times are running out. Tick tock. Yes, yes. Uh, tell me, is it one in four marriages that end in divorce now, or one in three? One in three. This week, a story from Birdie exploded onto our newsfeed. I'm 24 and living with advanced melanoma. This is my story, was the headline, as Natalie Fornasia told a story about her experience with melanoma in her 20s. It was a moving and devastating piece that captured two things. A, melanoma isn't just about time in the sun. And B, if we can, though, control how much our skin is exposed to tanning, why don't we? As we come into summer and Natalie's story sits at the forefront of our minds, Mish, do you think it's time we talk about our attitudes to tanning and how Instagram and social media inevitably heighten them? This is such an interesting topic to me. I think it's come at a really good time for us all to talk about going into summer now and going into the hotter weather. I think the sexiness of tanning compared to the brutality and gore of skin cancer is something we need to be really mindful of. And our glamorization of one of the most sickening and terrifying diseases needs to be called out. And I think the majority of our listeners and obviously you and I, Zara, are in our 20s. And I think we are responsible for how we represent sun tanning. And I think we all need to take a bit of responsibility and really look at our own behavior before we then head into January and the new year. It's so interesting to me because as as cognizant and aware we are of the dangers of tanning, Instagram and our obsession with aesthetics doesn't help because the minute you're on holiday, the minute you have an ability to document the darkening of your skin to your followers. And it's sort of a signal that you're out of office, that you've been in the sun, that you've had time off. It's sort of like you wear your holiday on your skin. Natalie had a great quote, and I think there is two pieces to this story that are really important, like we mentioned in the intro. She said, scrap thinking that melanoma is just about skin. People need to understand that melanoma is not just about sunscreen and skin checks. Of course, that is a huge part of it, but it is more than that. You have to be aware of your body. It is your number one priority. You are not invincible. Saying, I don't have moles, I'm not fair-skinned, or I don't have red hair, that doesn't mean you can't get melanoma. Yes, it can make it more likely, but you're not safe just because you don't fit that mold. Now, obviously, the line of thought we are taking today is the one where if we cannot control parts of melanoma, let's talk about the parts of melanoma that we can control and the parts that social media make it hard for us to kind of talk about because it's so glorified and we're talking about tanning. Absolutely. And before we go any further, let's give some stats. My favorite thing, the incidence rate of melanoma in Australia has increased by 180% in the last three decades. We have the highest rate of melanoma in the entire world. It is our fourth deadliest cancer. I want to give one more. It's also estimated that 95% of melanomas are actually caused by the sun. Yes, the vast, vast majority. Now, I want to take aim at every single Instagram-based company there we go. that focuses on the premise of protect and tan, which is the selling line of one particular brand, which I will not name because there are so many of them, I don't think it's fair to focus on just one. Protect and Tan is the name of one of their products, which is a tanning oil with SPF 15 included. This is not okay. If you see this on your feed... A company trying to sell you the premise of protect and tan, they are lying to you. I spoke to the Cancer Council Victoria about this last year for a story that I wrote online and the SunSmart manager from the Cancer Council, her name is Heather Walker, told me the implication that a product can be used to achieve a suntan while offering UV protection is an absolute contradiction. Unfortunately, we have seen these statements made on some products with phrases such as protective tanning oil and the phrase high protection sunscreen alongside suntan oil. At best, these products are misleading. At worst, they could lead to people unwittingly putting themselves at risk of skin cancer. 
I think Instagram brands have a huge amount to answer for when we come to tanning culture. When I was having a conversation with one of my very best friends this week about this exact idea coming into this podcast, she found me this ad that she said has been popping up incessantly on her timeline and she sent it to me after I caught up with her. And it is a brand called Fox Tan. And you are nodding, has it come up on yours? Well, I think it's not a protect and tan. It is in, enhance your tan faster. It's spraying it on your skin like some kind of oil without SPF. And it's the, the advertising blew my mind. It was just women with their tan lines going so dark in the sun. Yeah, and the number of women sharing their tan lines on their Instagram stories in particular exactly. is just going through the roof at the moment. But the thing is about these brands is that the overlap between how we think of ourselves and how we value our aesthetics and having these brands so insidious on a platform that encourages photos of aesthetics can't be undermined. Research done by the Cancer Council in November showed that the, the, the message that there's nothing healthy about a tan is not really reaching the majority of teens, right? With an alarming 62% saying their friends think that tanning is a good thing. Anecdotally, I think I have played into this. I do have naturally olive skin. And while I don't think I've ever been to the beach without sunscreen, I think it's worth being self-aware that I've never felt the pressure to think about it all the time because I don't burn. Yeah. I don't burn. And I was having, when I was talking to a girlfriend about it this week, because I've never felt the pain of having sun on my skin, it's never been a concern. I probably soak in so much more sun than the average person because it doesn't hurt. And I actually just don't notice it. It doesn't register in my mind because I can't physically feel it. I think we glorify that glow. I glorify that glow. I prefer summer when I have sun on my skin because I don't have to wear makeup because I feel healthier and I actually genuinely feel more alive. I've been thinking though, as we've been prepping for this segment, do I feel healthier with a tan because I have a tan or do I feel healthier because it means I've probably indulged in the things that I love the most, which are swimming and reading? And I think it's been a confronting week for me doing this research because I'm reflecting on all of the mistakes that I've been making and the damage that I've probably accidentally been doing mindlessly because perhaps I've accidentally conflated having a tan for feeling good about myself when in truth it's the activities that I've been doing in the sun that have contributed to my state of mind more. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. I think that's a really interesting point you raised because I don't want anyone to feel really bad. If you went out and bought one of these suntan oils, do not feel bad. The God, reason, I bought them before. Yeah, the reason I wrote this story is because I bought one. Yeah. I bought one and I used it and I was like, hang on, is this possible? It's the same with like Skinny Me Tea. The reason I feel so passionately about Skinny Me Tea is because I used to use it. Yeah. So I think if you are sitting here listening to this thinking, oh, bloody hell like I've got this I spent my money on this is it really that bad do not feel like you have fucked up royally because I have made the same mistake so Zara I. has same, yeah. made the same mistake I think what we're trying to do is just spread education about these things and we're trying to hold companies to task because we're also the- trying to hold ourselves to task too yeah. I know I definitely am I'm really trying in the last few weeks to sort of rejig habits and attitudes because I think it's coming at the most important time yeah and I think the problem lies here so when I was researching this topic last year what I found out is that companies can get a Way with this because they're branding their products as secondary sunscreen products. So that includes products for, tan- for tanning without sun and after sun care products. So they're mostly not regulated at all under the therapeutic goods legislation because they're considered cosmetic, not medical. So basically these companies have found a loophole that means they can sell you a lie. You cannot protect and tan. It is not something you can do. And I think we all need to tell our friends this summer, if you see them pull out one of these products, maybe just inform them. They might not know that they're putting themselves at risk of skin cancer. It's interesting to me because smoking, obviously, when we were much younger, had a massive marketing campaign to point out how it's not cool to smoke. And tanning hasn't reached a point where we've 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 had campaigns that have told us it's not cool. We've been told it's not healthy, but we haven't been told it's not cool yet. And I'm sort of waiting for that to happen. And it certainly doesn't help when our Instagram is saturated with this kind of sort of content. I do want to talk for a second about how sun tanning oils are almost exclusively targeted to young women because they're marketed and sat in the supermarket next to fake tan. I mean, what is that saying? The The Cancer Council data shows that teenage girls are more likely to want to tan than teenage boys. Why is that? I mean, what is it about us being girls? Is it just unrealistic beauty standards that make us feel we need them? I have a theory. Off you go. I think it's because people feel slimmer. 
yeah. and more toned when they were a tan. And we're constantly told women should be as skinny as humanly possible. And the number of times I said when I was younger, I like tanning because I feel slimmer, particularly when I had eating problems and an eating disorder, I would always tan because I wanted that shadow on my body and I wanted to look as skinny as humanly possible. I think that must be it because it has to come all the way back to aesthetics and the fact that our currency lies in those things, which makes me so sad because it's another one of those things where sure that's not to say that men don't like tanning I know a handful of friends who prefer boys I should say that that prefer themselves tan but I think this is a thing that women are more interested in and fixated on than men well it's an interesting paradox because I agree with you but the rate of skin cancer in men is higher I wonder if that's because more men work outside for example my boyfriend works outside all the time and he's been on my back for so long to get a mole check right and so we've been looking up um, when to actually get our moles checked and we were looking at the price of getting a mole check and it is through the roof Mm -hmm. now I know that sounds so stupid but because what kind of price can you put on your life but I remember we were having a conversation about it a couple of weeks ago and I thought I can't feasibly afford this before Christmas no I mean I know it's his priority more because he works in the sun but but for a lot of people it's not doable no it's not I think One thing as well is that women are comfortable with fake tanning, whereas when a man fake tans, it's viewed as something like, oh, you take yourself a bit seriously. Why is a guy fake tanning? Maybe if we develop attitudes that are more kind to men and we don't turn our noses up at guys who want to fake tan, just like we want to fake tan, let them do it. It's so much more safe than them sunning themselves and getting these ridiculous tan lines and spending all this time out in UV they could just pick up a bottle from the supermarket. If we normalize guys using fake tan whenever they want to, it means that they will be safer and probably less dudes will die. I wonder if fake tan is the answer because if we are encouraging, and this is me just spitballing right as I'm talking, if we encourage everybody to say, let's get on the fake tan bandwagon instead of the real tan bandwagon, does that still glorify the idea that a woman or anyone looks better with a tan and that does that still open the risk that people will still want to get a real tan or is this the only realistic way forward without debunking decades long beauty standards? Like, is this just realistic? I think the latter. Yeah. I think we've just got to go to the bottle form that just lather it on your skin, do it the fake way. You're not going to be putting your skin cells in trauma or distress. And yeah, if we went the other way, we were like, let's try and debunk the whole tanned is beautiful thing. It would take a century. It's interesting. This might sound really silly. Um, I Like I said, I'm about to jump on a plane in a couple of hours and I am going to somewhere that is not going to be warm. And I feel immense relief about that at the moment because I feel like in the last couple of weeks as we've been talking about this and I've been reading about it, I feel like I need to come to a point where I can rejig habits and rethink about how I consider myself and my own aesthetic with a tan. I know that sounds so dumb, but I'm relieved to take a few weeks out of the sun because I think changing those attitudes takes time. And that's one thing we should put home a little stronger in that this is not overnight stuff that you can just change if this is something that you've been loving doing for a very long time and you've been conditioned to do we've probably watched our parents lie in the sun i mean you you go down to the beach and you see those women and those men who have clearly laid in the sun for decades and have got that leathery look to their skin i honestly think one of the best ways to hammer it home is to actually tell people how much it will damage and age your skin Mm. i think that it sounds ridiculous and i'm not sure it's the most helpful way but i think it will be the most effective to tell women and men you will get more wrinkles and your skin will look older the more you let it out into the sun i think it might not be the most feminist way but it will save the most lives to tell people that and to hammer home the beauty effect of sitting out in the sun all the time well i think people do it for the beauty effect so if that's kind of what you have to use in order to get them to stop doing it sort of I don't know a weird way around it but it makes a lot of sense I don't know I think that's a really good message though for us to finish on for ourselves and for everybody else I hope because this is a conversation we're not having enough like I said tanning's still cool it's not healthy but it's still cool Mm, it absolutely is I think just try and educate each other try and stop posting your tan lines on social media and just go and buy fake tan. Bondi yeah. Sands fake tan is great. I'm also getting on Latan fake tan too. Yes, I, love I really Latan. like that one too. So, I mean, if that's all we can do for you, give you some good fake tan recommendations. <laughs> we are happy to help. Please come put them in our Facebook group as well. Come and Actually, pop them too. Very true. Let's start a thread on the best fake tans because I think that's something that that everybody likes to hear. Yeah, go into the Shameless Podcast community on Facebook. Post your favorite fake tan, preferably under fifty dollars, because. 
Gals like, got to save money. Do they come more expensive? Than oh that? my god, yeah. Do they really? Yeah, That's hell yeah. Absurd. Um, yeah, come do that, please. We'd really appreciate it. that. Can be your Christmas present to us. In the meantime, Merry <laughs> Bloody Christmas! This is our kind of last episode for a little while. We will be dropping into your ears on Thursday with an in conversation with you guys, but. We will be back on the 14th of January. Good memory. Thank nice you so much. recall. When this goes live, you will be on a plane to the opposite side of the no, world. When this goes live, I'll be in the Oh my God, you'll be in the opposite side of the world. In or on? On. Damn it. <laughs> I always confuse. Yeah, I know. <laughs> and when this goes live, it will be Christmas Eve and you will be? I will be tipsy. Uh, healthy. Yes. Healthy. Yes. <laughs> on, the, on the theme of summer health. <laughs> Thank you so, so much, guys, for all you have done for us this year. As Zara said before, we will be dropping in your feed on Thursday. We cannot wait for you to hear that episode. It is actually really entertaining and a really good one, if I do say so myself. <laughs> Go for it. Say it yourself. <laughs> Thanks again for all your support this year. Um, and we will be back in a couple of weeks to talk about the same shit we always do <laughs> in the meantime come and find us on instagram at shameless podcast or on our facebook group shameless podcast community if you want to leave an end of year review on itunes that would be wonderful too love you guys thank you so 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 much we will see you in 2019 well thursday and then 2019 <laughs> bye <laughs> Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish, if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish, if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business, and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.